I would say definitely how important it is to build a community because I think so, we took that for granted. Like we took that we would have to be intentional because obviously coming from the Caribbean, we did not have to be intentional. <laughs> Our community was just there. And we don't we don't realize that we actually have to be intentional. And so to be intentional about building community means that I can't wait to be invited. I need to invite people in. Welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America, an immigrant human library where we amplify and humanize the experiences of immigrants in the United States and around the world. Listen in as we add another story to our immigrant human library. And especially when it comes to your babies, you know, that's the hard part, you know, it's like, I didn't even know how to respond to her. Right. Yes. Yes. How do you respond to something like that and constantly trying to affirm that she's beautiful and she's perfect the way God made her? And she sees this, you know, and that's why we need safe spaces, right? Like, I think being an immigrant in America has, has made me, especially being here so long, has made me realize the importance of having safe spaces for us. Because we need safe spaces too, right? Like we need safe spaces where we can go to other black moms and be like, how do we have this conversation? Because I, no one ever, we, we didn't grow up having these conversations. So we legitimately do not even know how to have these conversations with our children. Whereas African-American parents have been having these conversations generation after generation after generation. Like It's so sad to think about, but they've been having those conversations. Same thing with like how to keep yourself safe when you're with the police. They've been having those conversations. These are not conversations that we like, even think about having because we didn't grow up in that way and yet now our children are like our new teachers because they are bringing these topics up and it's like wait a minute like what what do I do with this like what do how do you even begin to address that you know and that that just reminded me of just we need safe spaces to like like when you find when you come to America, like you have to find a community, either find other Caribbean people or other international people who are who are similar to you, but also, you know, plug into like, you know, a part of the culture that's going to accept you. Right. <laughs> like, like I say, like when I when I had that ex- bubble experience of living, you know, in in the HBCU bubble or the black bubble, I didn't know I was in a bubble. Right. Like I didn't know, you know, that it was different outside the bubble. Right. <laughs> And it was when I went outside the bubble, that's when I felt it. And, you know, just knowing that, you know, plug yourself into a, I would encourage people to plug themselves into a community where it's a safe space for, for them, you know, because you need to but, find it. Right. Yeah. And interestingly, as I listened to your story, a lot of what you said, I've walked through, but I have expressed that. I didn't feel welcomed by the African-American community. So it was different for you, maybe because you went to HBCU. But I have struggled for 20 plus years because it's like when you come in not knowing what their journey has been, they say you're not Black because you don't behave a certain way. You don't understand their lingo and the way they do things or the way they express things. And so you're, oh, she's white because, you know, you speak proper or you do this or you're acting too white. I was not accepted. And it was so painful for me. I would be at work and they wouldn't pull me in. I wasn't invited. 
So not being invited by the white folks and now you're not being invited by the folks yeah. who should be in your own community. I have been, and so that's why, well, that's one of the reasons I started this podcast because I was going through work and I was just feeling so isolated and just feeling so torn. And I was just like, it was painful for me. Uh, it's painful. No, it's not, yeah. It is just not finding a place of belonging with the people who look like you. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, yes, we were raised in different worlds and I've had different experiences. I might not think like you. Right, right. Right. I would not understand your experiences because there was no place where it was ever taught. And yeah. you're not telling me. Yeah. Right. And so so it was it was painful for a long time for me, and then feeling like you're being um what's the term that the gaslighted when you basically say I'm constantly having this type of experience with other black females right. constantly I'm like, what am I doing wrong, but it's not me it's because they don't see me as one of them because i i speak I sound different, I speak different, I express myself different, my experiences have been different, and so I don't fall in with that group. And it's just, I just, I have not been able to decode that. And then I had one person and I brought it up and constantly just feeling like, oh, I don't know anybody who would behave that way. But I moved from city to city to city and I'm just like, y'all are drinking the same Kool-Aid because there's no ray. I'm experiencing somebody in Kansas City, in DC, in Philadelphia, in Atlanta, and you guys are behaving the same exact way. It's not me because I'm the same person going through. So right. you guys are drinking the same Kool-Aid, right? And it's like a code that the way they behave, whatever it is that I present, you know, the white folks or Caucasian community, those I'm, I'm not one of them, right? Yes. We're all mixed up in the Caribbean. And so you come here and you're just like, I'm talking to everybody, black, yeah. white, whatever, and so you're losing your black card because the black folks are thinking, okay, so she too friendly with them or she, you know what I mean? Uh, and so uh, they, don't, they don't tell you what's, what's going on, what's under the DL in the office or wherever you are. They don't pull you in. And in fact, they will sabotage you at work, which is the sad part about it. And bad. that's this is why I created the safe space because I'm like, I am tired of feeling like I'm going crazy. Mm-hmm. Nobody's validating what I'm feeling. Yeah. And, like I constantly am experiencing with the white folks, with the African-Americans, yeah. where, you know, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm about to lose it because Aww. I feel like I'm crazy. No, I'm so serious. And it was when I started having this podcast and having the conversation then I started realizing just, okay, so there's a lot of racial issues going on. And I started reaching out to African-American folks. In fact, I just texted a person. I said, I need you to come on the podcast to educate us because yeah. there's political issues going on where the truth is not ever going to be taught in school the way this country is set up our children are not going to learn the truth and our history as blacks or as african afro descendants it did not start with slavery we go way back and so they teach our children about martin luther king in school but that's our history didn't start with martin luther king yeah. And so I have to make a specific effort that my daughter learns her route. She learns the history of Jamaica. She knows that her family has property there and that she can always have home, no matter what's going on here. And that she knows about the African continent and that the history of, of Blacks didn't start with the negativity that you see being portrayed here in this country. And so that's how you, you know, that's why a lot of our Black children have identity issues. 
It's, they can't just be children. They're constantly being barraged with all of this negativity and the way people treat them, even if they're confident, then it eventually will wear down your confidence because you have this constant negativity all around you in this environment. It's just, it's exhausting. Yeah. And they just children and so I have literally contemplating is this the right place to raise my child in this country there people are leaving yes exit exit yes I found a Facebook group called Blackset and can, you can yeah, go down places because we we contribute so much to this country but the the hostility is not is it worth it my daughter don't need to deal with that Right. And so I know I have to find my safe people. And so you have to educate yourself about when you are a person like an immigrant mom raising a child in a different country from the one which you were born in. There's so many complex issues that you really have to educate yourself and now have to learn about how do you create a safe place for your child, for yourself. That's what I'm endeavoring to do for people of like immigrant, the immigrant experience. It's nobody will understand when we say, we just didn't understand. We don't get it. How no. how would we? Yeah. How exactly. would we? No one taught us. Exactly. And so no, yeah, no, I'm just like I'm like, oh my gosh. And I keep saying, if my parents really knew, would they have come here? Right. My dad has a business and he has to deal with some of this crazy ish every day, too, sometimes. And they're trying to figure it out because we didn't have these conversations at home. But they didn't know. They don't know how to talk about stuff like this. This is not stuff we're raised up with. So they don't even know how to talk about it. Mm -hmm. But just please listen and contemplate and just be wide in your considerations about where you go and raise your family. You need safe spaces and for your mental health, for your mental health, because it's serious. I think immigrant, especially like uh, immigrants of Afro descendants are, you know, when you come here, it's an, it's a crazy experience. I'm telling you. Yeah. Yeah. It's not all glitter and gold, right? It's not all, you know, I think, from the outside, you know, you look at America and it's like, ooh, the land of milk and honey. It's like utopia. And it's not, it's not all, you, especially for immigrant families. It is our families. And our. I, think, I think, Simone, the, the hardest, the hard, one of the hardest things, especially if you don't have a built-in immigrant community already, right? So I think there are certain communities that have a built-in community, like Nigerians, for example. Ooh, like I, like Nigerians like find each other. They have a whole Nigerian church. They have Nigerian parties. They're somehow still able to find Nigerian partners to marry. So it's like they have like this built in like everywhere that we have met a Nigerian, they are plugged in to a whole Nigerian community, right? And sometimes even like certain Hispanic cultures, very similar, they they get plugged in into whether it's the Mexican um, community, like when I was in Miami, big Cuban culture. So they are very plugged into their community. So their experiences can be, can feel a little bit different and almost still sheltered because they still have each other, even though they're in America. And I think it's different when you are a black immigrant um, and you're coming to America because our community is scattered all over the place, right? Like, it's not like we could always be like, oh, 
you know, let me go to this Jamaican church, like where, right? Like <laughs> that you're not going to find that, right? You might find Jamaican people mixed in one or two, three or four here and there, but you're not going to like how the Nigerian have their church or even Hispanic people have their church. Or I've seen now Asians, um, Korean, like I've seen in, in this area, Korean Baptist church. And I'm like, yes. oh my goodness, like we, there's so many of them to have a community, right? And their experiences might be different because they have each other. And I felt like coming to America for me, we've never lived around family, my husband and I. So he's lived in Texas. Then we lived in North Carolina, Tallahassee, Florida, Miami, Florida. And now North, we lived in Durham, North Carolina, and now Atlanta, Georgia. And no, no time in any of those places or cities did we have family. Did we did we have an automatic like friend community or even international Caribbean community to just automatically like plug ourselves into? And that can be really, really hard, especially if you're moving to a whole new city after school or for your job. And it's like you have to start all the way over again in terms of finding safe people, finding who you can connect with, finding genuine people. And I've been in Georgia five years and I am still working actively, consciously, present day working to find people in my community. I, I feel like I'm still a newbie because of that. You know what I mean? Because I don't feel settled in like, oh, I have my tribe or I have my friend circle or my, you know, strong network of people. It's like I kind of know a sprinkling of people from everywhere that have been, but but I don't necessarily feel fully settled because of that, right? Like, because I don't have like that strong Caribbean community or even strong just community community, right? And so I think like that's something really important to think about and for people to consider that it is hard when you, especially a Black immigrant coming to America, that Caribbean it it is not as easy finding your tribe and finding like you said Simone like even if you if you 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 try to knock on the door of the african american community it doesn't mean that they would automatically pull you in right and so that can definitely feel heavy and lonely i think for a lot of us and it's a feeling that we're also not familiar with because we didn't have that feeling in our home country Right. So we didn't have that feeling of feeling like the other or feeling different or feeling excluded. And sometimes these are first time feelings for us. Like what is happening here? Like why, why does my spirit feel so unsettled here? Yeah. 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 No, that's why I'm having these conversations and I, yeah. And especially here in Georgia, you'll see there's a lot of Indians yeah. and they've, they have each other. They really stay in, they find each other. They're plugged into their Indian community. You see the Chinese, the Koreans. Um, it's hard to say Asian because that group is so broad. Right. Yeah. But you have to learn how to differentiate. So they all have their, their communities, but there's something about the black community. I don't quite understand why it's so disjointed. We're French speaking. We're English speaking. We're Spanish speaking. And so that, is one layer the, the on the communi communication level. And then we end up like we attach ourselves with the languages that we speak, like the Haitians stay with the French speaking, the uh, 
Spanish-speaking Afro-descendants with those communities and then the English-speaking Black folks as well. And even so, even when we, you know, deal with people from the continent, from the African continent, they don't necessarily consider us African anymore because we've been gone and we're so mixed up with everything else. Our culture is so different. We try to build bridges, but it's, you know, I'm really concerned about why our community is so just scattered everywhere and, and how how do we find a way back to each other? I, I think there are people out there trying to work with kind of bringing like a pan-African type mm-hmm. of a thing like Marcus Garvey envisioned before trying to really bring all of us together. But sometimes there's infighting like other communities, you know, we might see them together, but they have their infighting too. They have their issues. Be sure about it. Cause I've heard crazy stories of what happened. We just don't see it or we don't hear about it. They keep it hush hush. So even though we have the infighting, it happens in other communities too. It's just human interactions and it's a very normal thing, but we need to find a way to kind of, you know, something that glues us, glues us together. I'm, and then there's colorism in the community that also causes issues. So it's, um, I'm not sure what the magic bullet is, but I am actively trying to create a safe space for my daughter because, um, she, I feel like she's has to, she's had to grow up a little bit earlier than I thought because she's seeing things and recognizing things that other people are forcing on her. Right. And that she's had to learn to maneuver and she feels things. It's fun, you know, we're energetic, you know, and we can feel the energies that people come to us with and you have emotions and things and you can't even put the words to it, but you can feel it. But any case, I really want to consider having like what, what a friend from New Jersey called the pigeon club where we create like a Caribbean space for our children, where they all kind of grow up together. We get together and we play Ludi or we play Domino or we play Pigeon or whatever it is, whatever the culture is in the Caribbean. Because you have to start somewhere with people who have similar culture and backgrounds. You have to start somewhere. You can't go so wide when you say the the Pan-African community because there's so much to work on to figure out in that space. So for me, I feel like I want to create a kind of a Caribbean space for my daughter because I feel like as a Trini, I can immediately feel connected to you already because of that shared Caribbean experience. And so I literally started a Word document, starting writing people's down based on their names, their professions, their contact, because I want to create a directory for us to be able to kind of connect with each other because it's not always safe for you to just show up as a doctor's office. You have to know that when you go to a dentist or a doctor, doctor or any business place that is a safe place for you to go when you have melanin that's the reality of living in america you have to make sure that you vet where you're going because you don't know what you're going to be met with when you show up or the time you're paying them your money and you don't want to pay people your money to mistreat you yeah yeah. This is real. You heard about the African Americans having what they called some sort of black book or blue book that they would share with each other when they were going on road trips. Or the green book when they were growing on road trips. So they know where to stop. They have to find the safe spaces. This is still going on in 2023. Yeah. It's mad to me. Yeah. Yeah. And how do you reconcile that within yourself? I mean, I literally got to the point of saying, 
And it, you know, it's so blatant now that I'm like, I have to teach my daughter that there are people out there who don't like her just because of the texture of her hair, the way she looks, her skin tone. And, you know, she just wants to be friends with everybody. But there are people who you walk into the store and you see these white folks looking at her. And I'm like, she's a child. Why are you giving her that sort of energy? You racist person. You can feel it. So sad. Yeah. Yeah. And so we have to educate. So do I, do I raise her in a bottle or do I tell her that this is, it feels like a war. It Mm -hmm. feels like a war, like we are at war because they are sending their children as bullets, literally like training their children from so young either to be behave a certain way with our children. And so you have a bullet coming at you and you better prepare your child how to protect herself. I mean, the last few years being down here in the South, I was just like, I know, right? It's like. This is some this is some real stuff. The next level, yeah, yeah. And forgive my French. I mean, like, I recorded a video when I went to like a big church here in the area. Uh, It's a I would call it a predominantly Caucasian church. But this is where you feel the segregation on Sunday mornings, right? And I come home and I can. My daughter goes to the 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 children's church and she's excited and she's happy. And you can see, you can walk in and you can tell which one is which, which person in this church. And this is supposed to be a place of worship. Yeah. Where it's supposed to be this. But these people carry their racist behavior and selves to the church. And the fact that the church is coddling these people and not dealing with it, that's a problem. Yeah. You want me to come visit your church and act like I don't see it and pay you my money? Right. Act like you don't see it. And act like I don't see it and just sit in your pew and let you lull me to sleep that this doesn't exist. Yes, yes. Because they want you to assimilate. And part of assimilation is you ignoring racism, you ignoring that this is happening and just go along to get along. That's essentially your job. Your job is to go along to get along. Because if you create any waves, it could be bad for you at work. And so that's how that's how a lot of black people learn to just go along to get along because it's like, I don't want to ruffle any feathers or I don't want to draw attention, negative attention to myself. And so I have to look like I'm okay even when I'm not. And that is very hard. Yes the whole conversation about bringing your authentic self to work and wherever you go. But the fact is that you expressed it earlier that you have to code switch depending on the place that you go. You hear this whole talk lately about being your consistent person, no matter where you do and stop with the code switching, but you, I I don't see how it's possible. Uh, When you're dealing with people from different cultures, you have to learn how to build rapport and bridges based on somebody who even speaks another language. If you speak Spanish, and I'm going to use Spanish with a Spanish speaker. If I speak French, I'm going to use French with a French speaker to build bridge or try to connect, right? Because they're going to immediately look at you and say, you don't look like me, so you ha- we have nothing in common. So you have to use those commonalities that you have to build bridges with people. And so you could call that code switching, depending on the environment you're in, you have to then bring to the table. So you, you're, you're able to kind of have a conversation on a, you know, on the surface, at least, even though, you know, physically you look differently. Oh my gosh. 
So, you know, yeah, you've, sh you've shared so much already, Cara, um, about your experience. And um, I'm just wondering, you know, it said that success leaves clues. What do you know now that you wish you did at the start of your immigrant journey? Hmm. I would say definitely how hard it is, how important it is to build a community. Because I think so we took that for granted. Like we took that we would have to be intentional because obviously coming from the Caribbean, we did not have to be intentional. <laughs> Our community was just there. And we don't, we don't realize that we actually have to be intentional. And so to be intentional about building community means that I can't wait to be invited. I need to invite people in. And that was one of the things that I started doing in terms of like trying to build community was that I became a host. I became the person that invited others in and through it, it almost like I kind of cast a net wide and then see who remained right and so I extend the invitation you can come and then through that you know I was able to kind of filter down to find you know some some really good friends just through that and so I would say being very intentional about building community so that you can survive so that you could not feel like you're alone and isolated and remote and just living out there right and so I think I would have been more mindful about that and not just kind of like lay in the wings and it never happened, right? Because if you just lay in the wings, it ain't going to happen, right? Like it is not going to happen unless you just happen upon another person like you. Yes. <laughs> you know, it, it won't happen I, if you lay in the wings. It's true. It's so true. Mental health in the immigrant community is a topic that I'm trying to cover because nobody uh, talks about it. Nobody taught leaving the place of the that you know the culture yeah. that you know the language that you know your your safe space and coming into a, a country like this where that is so hostile towards you like how then do you find community I'm constantly having to be the one to reach out because people are not pulling me in I literally had to walk around my community my daughter and I and introduce ourselves knock on doors. Because we moved in 2019 and the pandemic happened less than a year later and we were just locked in our home. Yeah. And I had to start walking around a year later and then started realizing, oh, there are other people in the community here that looks like me and started exchanging numbers and so forth. Uh -huh. But not everybody was interested to go deep, you see. Yep. So yep. You also have to be aware of that. But yep. you constantly have to exert and take initiative and advocate and and form space. And so right now, I'm not ready to move again because I'm so exhausted from doing that. Everywhere I go, I've had to do that. I've had a very international career, foreign service. I was traveling overseas for several years. I just felt like I lived on a plane and then I switched to a domestic uh, agency and then I was still traveling, you know, for a while. And I, it's just now that I'm finally feeling like I'm putting roots down. And that is so important, you know, and the, our mental health as immigrants are, is such important because getting to a place of belonging, especially in a world like this where people are constantly coming at you, about trying to tell you or talk you out of who you know you are right they're trying to convince you that you're something else yeah. or look at you like you're being uppity if you speak right. proper right it's crazy it's it's just it's it's something else and so that's why I started this podcast because I felt like nobody was talking about it yeah. everybody as immigrants too. another that's part of the intersection is that as the inter in the intersection of an immigrant 
you're trying not to rock the boat because you're here, you're seeing as alien, you're seeing as the other, you're seeing as an outsider. And you just, you know, you just want to go to work and make money so you can do what you came here to do. And, you know, and even more so, you don't want to rock the boat. But then you're dealing with all of these other stuff and you're like, how long can I keep sweeping the stuff under the rug? At what point do I say, this is really affecting me mentally. There's some issues that I have to talk about. Yes. Guarantee you, there's a ton of people dealing with some issues that they've just had to look over and just swallow their their spit or swallow whatever they were going to say to say, I need this job. Mm -hmm. You have an accent and they they say something to your face because you have an accent and it was racist and it's discriminatory. But you look over it because you need the job to take care of your family. Right. Or you might be in an H1B position and you need them to fought to sponsor you. And then you can't speak up at work because they're mistreating exactly. you so much. They're putting all the work on your plate because they know that you're going to have to do it because you can't speak up. Yes. You have to be the good immigrant, you know, like the good, you know, perfect, you know, hardworking. You check all the boxes, cross the T's, dot the I's like that. That's that's it. Like you just come in knowing that. I have to do this in order to get to the next level, you know, but that's hard. And it wears you down after a while, after a decade of being in that constant stress, you know, it will wear you down mentally, emotionally. I'm really trying to do some research about how people are fearing, you know, is there suicide? What's the level of suicide in this community? What's the mental health of immigrants? You know, like people who come here and work and then they go home because they're sick and they just go home to die because they've never had the chance to stop to enjoy what they're working for. They're sending money back home to take your family and everybody else or building a house and then they get sick and go home to die. That's the reality of the immigrant experience. Yeah. We work hard and we go hard, but we don't, we know it's kind of like taboo to talk about mental issues, yes. even in their communities. Yes, it is. So let's talk about authentic marriages and the business that it's, it's, you know, it's developing into how that came about and how people can find your services and connect with you. Yes. So authentic marriages really came about as like a passion project. So ever since I got married, I wanted to, I personally, like I wanted to make sure that I was in a happy, healthy marriage, right? Because I didn't necessarily see that growing up in terms of my family background or context of like seeing a healthy marriage. And so I knew that I did not want to be one of those that experience the stress and the turmoil and the heartache. And especially even in our culture, I saw a lot of women who would remain in really toxic relationships just because, right? Like that is, that was how it was, right? That you just stay married regardless of what the husband does. He could be drinking, he could be cheating, he could be living his life outside of the home and a lot of women would stay faithful and they would stay committed. And I was like, I am not going to be like sister Mary, right? Like I'm just like, I was just like, I was like, that is not going to be my story. I am not going to marry somebody and then live in hell for the next 50 years. So because of that, I was like, okay, how can I make sure that we are okay? And so it's kind of set me on this path of like, putting myself in places where I 
found again, like marriage education, right? Because I didn't get it from my, my home life, but I would go to like, if churches had like, um, like a marriage conference or a marriage workshop, I went to those before I was married, right? Like I would just put myself, like, I want to listen to what y'all are saying. Like, I want to hear, you know, what makes a good marriage, like all those things. So I started doing that before I was married. And then especially after I was married, I was like intentional about doing those things. And then I think we, you know, I think one of our gifts is the gift of hospitality, just like Caribbean hospitality. So that's just part of me. Like I like being hospitable. I like inviting people over. And so we created sort of like a space in our home in North Carolina where we started doing game nights, couples game nights every other week. This was before kids. So we had the time and the space to do that. And we would host couples game night every other week. And eventually people like some of our friends would come and talk to us and ask them to help us if they were struggling relationship wise. And that sort of kind of like started the seed of authentic marriages, right? It was like, we were just doing these things unofficially because it was beneficial to us, right? It was like beneficial to us to like create a married, a married couple community. Um, And then in 2016, 2017 actually it was 2017 I think it was 2017 we hosted our first couples retreat and I coined the name authentic marriages I came up with the name authentic marriages because I said I want us to be a space where we can be authentic where people can feel seen where we can create kind of like a culture of where couples can come for encouragement and we can talk about things in an authentic way open way that type of thing so we created our first retreat which was just with our friends from North Carolina and we did that retreat at Windshape in Rome Georgia in 2017 and then it's sort of just like you know I was just kind of like in a space of okay what do I want to do with my life right because when I moved to Tallahassee I had stopped working for Big Brothers Big Sisters and I became a stay-at-home mom by force because I didn't have a visa to work because once you once you leave your job with that sponsored the visa you can't just go work somewhere else right and so Tallahassee I kind of described Tallahassee as like my wilderness right like I was just kind of there not working not by choice but I was a stay-at-home mom my son was 10 months old at the time when we moved to Tallahassee and I sort of had this like what do I do with my life I don't know what to do with my life I'm just here withering away my brain is withering away like I was just feeling like I'm not using my brain cells anymore and I was just having this like crisis of just like what is going on with my life and I went to career counseling because I was so like I need to figure out what to do because sitting at home for two years especially when it's not your choice and you would rather work is like a hard thing to kind of shift into that role. So I went to career counseling and I was like, I don't know if to go back to school to get my PhD or to go to law school because I always wanted to be a lawyer when I was a kid. And the career counselor after about the fourth session, third or fourth session said, you know, you came in with a decision to either go to law school or to do a PhD. Like, have you considered that there's a third option, which is none of the above? And I was like, no. I had not considered a third option, right? Um, And it like unlocked a door that was closed in my brain when he said that because I did, I literally did not give myself any other options besides those two, PhD or law school, that's your options. And I remember having a conversation with my, my mentor a couple of years prior and he had suggested 
when I was having this conversation of what to do next career wise, he had suggested, he was like, Kari, you know, you love working with couples. You love, you know, you and Jared, you love, you guys love doing that. Why don't you do something career wise in that field? And I said, people don't work in their passion. And I dismissed his idea, like just dismissed it. Like it was just like, and now at the career counseling, it was like that door unlocked. And I was like, what would it be like if I did work in my passion? And that door just kind of like, you know, created this awakening inside of me of like, maybe I could work in my passion. Maybe I could work with couples. And it led me down a pathway, even though I had already had my master's in social work from UNC, my concentration was administrative type social work. So it was nonprofit management. It was nothing to do with counseling, therapy, or working with clients. It was the working with organizations, right? Very, very different skill set. So in 2016, when we moved to Miami in 2016, I decided to do what I needed to do to gain the skill set of doing couples therapy so that I could have the experience, the professional experience behind a passion. And I went on the trajectory to become a licensed clinical social worker, which took about like another five years before I got licensed. But I had to redo my student internship. I had to pay a university 10 credit hours to get to get a student internship, to pay to work for free. And all the while, like I'm using this to learn how to do therapy and how to do couples therapy. And then I learned to do trauma therapy. And I learned that I like working with trauma because I it was that wasn't even on my radar. But I was like, I actually love this because so many of us have like hidden traumas that we just live with because it was normal. And because we thought it was normal, we just thought that this is how it's supposed to be. And it's like, no, it's not how it's supposed to be, right? And so I started working with individuals who experienced trauma. I got trained in doing EMDR, which is a type of therapy for trauma. And I got licensed after the pandemic because once we moved from Florida, I was sort of like in the middle of trying to get my hours for licensure and then they called me back during the pandemic and I was able to finish my hours through 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 the company that I worked with. And once I got my license, I became independent and I created my own private practice under the banner of authentic marriages so that I see therapy clients in the state of Georgia and Florida for couples and individual work. I only see adults. And then my husband collectively, he's a psychiatrist, so he still works full time. But collectively, we do couples coaching groups, couples retreats and couples workshops. So every year we try to host an international retreat. We did Aruba, Jamaica last year. And this year we did Belize and we're still figuring out where we're going to go in 2024. And so we want to plan retreats for couples. And we try to like our, our focus in, in as an organization has been with black and brown couples, right? Like people of color, because we really want to serve that community and reach our community even, right? Like I want to be a space where our community can find healing and help and with people that look like them. And and so a lot of my clients are actually immigrants or first-generation immigrants. Um, a lot of people in Miami are immigrants. So I, I was able to have a lot of my clients um, from Puerto Rico, Haiti, Jamaica, you know, all over the Nigeria, I even have Nigerian clients, right? Like, so I have a lot of immigrant clients, which I love because I feel like it's so relatable 
to be able to like have your therapist be an immigrant too. And so that has been like really nice. That cultural competency, I'm sorry to interject. Yes. Cultural yes. competency is so, so, so important. Yes. And people relax more. I think like, you know, from like when they feel like their therapist gets them, it's almost like they don't even have to use as much words to like try to like say how they're feeling because it's like, yeah, we get it, you know? And so that has been really nice to have um, immigrant clients and, and first generation, you know, immigrant clients as well. And so, yeah, so, so, so the, the, I love the therapy part. I love doing especially trauma therapy that has been very life-giving to me because I've been able to see people heal from places where it's like, like, even I am like, wow, like, I like when I see how people can make such big shifts in their lives or such big shifts in how they think about themselves mentally or how they view themselves, you know, negatively. And then to see the switch of the confidence and the, you know, I see myself as good enough. And and that thought pattern changes the trajectory of your life, changes the trajectory of the type of relationships that you allow yourself to be in, whether friendships or romantic relationships, how you navigate, you know, career opportunities even because sometimes people hold themselves back because of how they think of themselves even though they're like more than qualified right like more than qualified and capable and skilled and all of that so that's one of the reasons why I love working with trauma because it has the 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 backside of working with trauma is like witnessing people like like really like change change the trajectory of of their life I've I've been very intrigued with positive psychology. I really do think I may go off for a PhD in positive psychology because it's important to know or be able to switch from that trauma or whatever it is that's causing life to not feel good to you right now. We don't we haven't studied enough about yeah. what it looks like when things go right with us. There's a lot of study about, you know, going back to the past and therapy and all of that. But, you know, there's a lot that's coming about now in the whole idea of positive psychology. What does it really look like when things go right with us, you know, and being able to to see that happen? It's so important. But yes. So that's awesome, though, that you found this, that you've been working with immigrant couples and, and so forth. That is so, so, so important. And I do think you can work in your passion. Yeah. You know? Yes. It seems like such a weird issue in the immigrant world because, you know, the mind, the immigrant mindset is when we come in, we do the practical, we do the immediate. It's what will put money okay. on the table. Yes. Yes. So it's a lawyer, it's a doctor, it's an engineer, it's an IT in the STEM field. You know, that's what we think about. But then as you later on, as you get older, it seems like life brings you back into, I don't I don't know if it's Maslow's chart and the self-actualization. A lot of times I'm noticing that people, even in all of these fields, tend to come back to the original of what they were meant to do in the first place. I That's happening in my life. And it sounds like it's been yes. that way too because I feel like this has always flowed out of me I want to build a coaching practice because I think coaching is very powerful in the whole positive psychology thing and this was always in the back of my mind my entire life really? but I put it aside I've always wanted to do psychology but I was also interested in languages and international affairs and I went that route 
But, you know, when I was in my class with Department of State, with all these people, if you know Myers-Briggs, and I did my assessment, I am an ESFJ, and majority of my class were NTs. And that it's, it takes a certain sort of personality to behave and, and to work in diplomacy, but it drew so much energy. It was exhausting for me. And when I find like this whole counseling and coaching and advising and being in that space always flowed out of me, like with no effort. And I'm finally getting there. I'm finally allowing myself starting this podcast to really even now build out my business around that. And I'm like, look long it's taking me but I suppose you know the life experiences and journey that I've been on has now advised me and I'm probably more effective of a coach because I've had to walk through that you know I get that sometimes life will take you through things and but I feel like I'm like around I I was already here but then I went around the circle and I'm now back to listen what my inner person knew yes exactly supposed to be that and I'm finally listening. And a lot of immigrant family in the whole immigrant experience, I, I, I would venture to say probably is a lot in that space too. People who are doctors and are miserable. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Engineers and are miserable. They work one year or a month and then they leave. Because they're like, I spent, they told me to study the sciences and I studied and I did what I was told by my parents, but I'm miserable. And then they leave. They come become coaches, real estate people. They start different businesses. And so why not? How we are, you know, it is possible to earn financially. I haven't really been an entrepreneur for long. I'm still in the space, just starting out in the space. But I want to venture that it is possible to work in your space, in your passion, as you put it, and for life to create space and resources for you. Like the Bible talks about, your 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 is it your talent or your gift making room for you uh, right there's something to be said about that when you feel like you're supported by god you're supported by the divine you're supported whatever you call it the the, the uh, universe the divine whatever it is you're supported by that energy and you draw you attract that law of attraction you you attract those things to you that just kind of seem to create this world that you were meant to create and it's effortless you know, and when we go into other places, it takes so much energy to study and to do all of this stuff. But when we really come into alignment with who we were meant to be, it's like effortless and you feel supported. Like people just come, your helpers just come. It's like a natural thing. But in any case, we've been talking for over two hours. Oh my gosh. And it you feels so crazy. It feels so easy, but you've shared so deeply, so authentically, and I can't wait. I feel like I want to literally pump your interview right now into Opus Pro and have them cut up all of the clips and to say this interview will be released after Hispanic Heritage Month. But I want to give people a taste for some of the nuggets that you've expressed because I guarantee you, people are out there. They're hurting mentally. They're looking for belonging as immigrants. They're trying to find their community. They're trying to learn the language. They're trying to figure out the culture. And that's why I want to help them do how to de- decode America yes. is what I'm here for, you know, and to help people find that place of belonging and um, make sense of racism and every exactly. all the negativity and stuff like that. So it's this was such fun. a great conversation. Oh, my gosh. It, I feel like this was food for my soul. 
Friends, as always, please subscribe, comment, and share if you enjoyed this interview. If you're passionate about telling immigrant stories, our team is looking for help. If you're willing to help with podcast production, social media, or Patreon management, please reach out to us. You can also donate on our Patreon if it's easier for you. All the links are in the description below. Thank you. We thank our listeners around the world and we appreciate your continued support as we build our human library. Please remember to give us a five-star review, subscribe and share with your friends, family and circle of influence.